0: Good evening and welcome to another edition of Sugar and Silk brought to you exclusively by Ace Podcast Nation. My name is Ben Doty.
1: My name is Michael Silkity of the two indeed um okay. really
0: really no need for for identification anywhere the world over, right? Um, <laughs> uh, Michael, um obviously we, we both watched and Joshua. We haven't discussed it until right this moment. But we both watched Anthony Joshua score a seventh-round KO of Robert Hellenius last night in London. I know to degree what you made of it because I've seen your Facebook posts. Um, and you, I think it's going to be another case of here we go again. You know, uh, ludicrously threadbare technique and variation shown at so-called elite level, unacceptably threadbare. I think you believe.
1: Uh, meaning, uh, Joshua's or his opponent? Yeah.
0: Just into you, you you've recently been very critical of the of this of the the visible uh, application of trainers and and, and and how well how good of a job a coach has done. Clearly, yeah. by the end product, which is what they should be judged by on fight night, you've exactly. said you've made countless comments recently when you've like, why is this guy doesn't he know how to slip a jab? Why doesn't he know how to block a jab, parry a jab? Mm-hmm. Why is he not hooking off the jab? etc. etc. Mm-hmm. And you feel that there is a bit of a deficit going on at the minute, where you see these performances yeah. at the so-called elite level, and I and I That's believe good. you you found Joshua's game pretty threadbare last night.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at Crawford, for instance, and look at and look at uh, Davis. Look at just how they win. Look at how they score their knockouts. Look at how they score punches. Like, it's just an absolute different breed of fighter altogether. And and what we saw yesterday was, okay, your turn, my turn. Your turn, my turn. (laughs) It was this back and forth. Like, they were, like, they were, like, rallying together, playing tennis, and and you knew where the shot was going to go. Your turn, my turn. I didn't hit you. Now it's your turn.
0: It was amateurish, right? It was amateurish.
1: Yeah, it was very... It was pedestrian. It was more pedestrian than the Beatles walking across that Abbey Road.
0: Yeah, that iconic shot, yeah. Iconic. um,
1: Do
0: you know, this was the thing. I thought the finish itself, you couldn't grumble. You couldn't criticise it. The finish was kind of cool because he did that touch with the left hand. Then he Mm -hmm. threw a jab to to the chest, you know, to lower the hands. Then he threw the right hand, uh, straight right hand, and Mm -hmm. and he took him out, which is great. But it was the only... Um, consummate aspect in the whole performance. But besides that, he looked tentative, gun shy, um a little novice, a little plodding, one dimensional. Um like it's I I do I never want to buy into cliches, but I have to subscribe at this point to this theory that Anthony Joshua has regressed, he has psychological issues, um he, he doesn't really know who he is or who he wants to be in the ring. And people say it all started the night that he, you know, he was unacceptably upset. Sorry, unexpectedly upset by Andy Ruiz at the Garden back in 2019. Um, I wasn't quick to jump on that bandwagon and narrative, but I'm forced to go along with it because I think we've seen it too many times now, you know, and it just doesn't look... You say you've been working with Derek James all this time and and you're anxious to show these new aspects to your game. And then it reminded me of the early Frank Bruno performances. It was that one-dimensional.
1: You know, as human beings... Well, we all, you know, when trauma happens, we all process it a different way. And what happened with Anthony Joshua, this traumatic event happened and it was extremely traumatic. It hurt his finances. Physically, it hurt. I mean, just every, emotionally, it hurt. Everything about that fight against Ruiz, especially when he had Ruiz hurt himself. That was trauma. That was about the most epic kind of trauma you can have as a boxer. So he questions every single thing about himself. The, what the, Now, this is when it's the coach's job. And here I go on a coaching again. To You have to reignite that fighter spirit inside him. Now it's almost like he's fighting just because that's his employee. That's how he makes money. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so you can't have that. You have to have your fighter, like, you have to make sure he's shipworthy, like, he's seaworthy. That's got to go to war.
0: Where was the passion? Where was the imagination? And to use another of your favorite uh, terms, creativity, there Mm -hmm. was none. And this is why, Silk, that I had an issue even before last night with your comparison with Joshua to Joe Lewis. I understood it. And you, and you defended it saying, Ben, just because the levels of SC are different, it doesn't negate the similarities. But I still thought it was kind of tragic because Lewis, Lewis looked absolutely like the, the epitome of pugilistic uh, perfection at times. He looked so confident and unruffled in what he was doing, like the he was born him. to do it. And it was so beautifully simple. Joshua looks hesitant as hell.
1: Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And and Joe is not the kind of, like, Joe, when it's time to let his hands go, he lets his hands go. There's no hesitation at all. Look, he got knocked out by Max Schmeling. <clears throat> he knew exactly what the issue was. He went back into the gym, worked it out, came back, fought him, knocked him out again. That's not what Anthony Joshua did with Ruiz. He didn't come. He totally changed his strategy and, like, was here, there, never in one place and kind of like, and and I wouldn't say pity Pat, but kind of touched his way up to a victory using his his physical attributes, which were better than jo- uh, Ruiz's anyway. So um, so so yeah, you know there there is no in terms of greatness and on on a comparison between the two between Joshua and Joe Louis, but there certainly are in terms of being like um, like book read intelligence like. Uh, The way Joe Lewis fought is not a fighter who fights. He's not a natural fighter. He may be, have all the natural attributes and everything, but he's not a naturally self-taught fighter. You know what he
0: said? You know what he said on that particular Uh note? Uh huh. Joe Lewis quote, he says, no such thing as a natural fighter. And he said, (laughs) a natural painter has to paint all the time. He said, a natural singer um, has to sing all the time. And he says, even a natural fool has to work at it.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know what? But, but that's true. But they, listen, a natural singer, are you kidding me? Like, you wouldn't want to hear me sing. And, you know, and I may be coming from my nature, but you wouldn't want to hear it. And it's the same thing. You know, you know, just some people have that knack for it. They have that ability. I don't know whether it's just the vocal cords, whatever it is, but you have a natural tendency to be able to hit notes and carry a melody and carry a tune. And it's the same thing with boxing. You have a natural coordination of fluidity. You, you have an alertness when punches are coming back at you. And you may not be able to execute it so well because you haven't done it so many times, but those reflexes are still there. And that's yeah, what I'm good that's what yeah. a natural fighter is. and and But what he was, he was very, I believe, from what I, I wasn't there, but he was he was very, like, he's book-read. He's very, like, his, his teacher's well, taught him. This is what you do when the left hand comes at you. You know, you you know, know who hand him, hand right?
0: You know, you know who mentioned him in the Sweet Science was Jack Blackburn. Yeah. And I don't know how much you know about Jack Blackburn. Chaffee, he called him. Yeah, no um, less,
1: but I understand he was a great trainer.
0: Well, and not just a great trainer, Michael, but he has an all-time – he has a borderline all-time great resume as a fighter. He fought Harry Greb, your, your favorite. He fought Sam Langford, you know. He, he fought a whole bunch of guys, you know, from from that kind of era when you had these legends yeah. with these crazy resumes and schedules that they had. Yeah. Yeah, he, fought, yeah. he fought Joe Gans, okay?
1: Yeah, but what I'm saying, Ben, is he has a concept of boxing. And his yeah. concept of boxing is based on, like, it's real time, real thing. But it doesn't allow Joe to explore himself to his to his max. It, it, it'll, like, you got to trust your trainer 100%. I understand that. And he's showing anything that doesn't fit out of his book, kind of like, he doesn't want, he doesn't really want to know. He isn't willing to, like, um, Joe could maybe have been even more than what he was. He was super great. He could have been even greater. You don't know that unless you know what I mean. We, we really understand um, who Joe was as a fighter and his abilities. Yeah. But but but
0: either way, and like I say, when you look at Joe Lewis dismantle Max Bear pre-title days. He looks just so perfect. It looks like when you teach people on the mitts or the pads, as we call them over here, yeah. that's what should happen. You know, The, the way yeah. he, he throws like against Bear, he throws a straight right hand. Yeah. Then he rolls with that. There's no particular reason yeah. to roll because because Bear doesn't come back with a left hook. But yeah. he throws a straight right hand, then he rolls and throws a right uppercut a left hook, and then a short right hand, and everything is just so on point yeah. and so accurate. And, and yeah. you know, it's just yeah. so smooth. You know, whereas, what? say, Joshua last night, he just reminded me, where's the, where, where's the OJ breakdown? Someone's just asked me. I, I want to know what that's all about. Um, but, the, you know, he, um, Anthony Joshua did remind me, when Frank Bruno was coming up the ranks, and a lot of people in this country were getting behind him and raving about him and hoping because we needed a you know, heavyweight hero collectively in the national psyche at that particular time. And it was the first time we had a really plausible, big, athletic-looking black man to get behind, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, But obviously, being more contrary, my, myself and, and my father were more the kind of anti-Bruno kind of narrative and were saying that we were being fed, you know... Um, Mm-hmm. a guy who was kind of limited, you know, and, and, and really wasn't such, such much of a good boxer. And mm-hmm. he reminded me, and I, I ended up giving, these days I give Frank Bruno a little bit more credit than I was prepared to in his A day. Mm-hmm. But Joshua reminded me of the more novicy Frank Bruno days last night mm-hmm. with a lot of what he did. Yeah. Some people tell me they can see things that he's been working on with Derek James, and I think he's doing certain things better than he did before. But I don't, I don't really see it, to be, yeah. to be honest with you. He's, it's very,
1: he's very, very extremely hesitant. He's hesitant. And sometimes that could be that could be um, characterized as as fear and nervousness and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But he's hesitant. He's hesitant for a reason. Uh, You know, what it could be is that maybe he's just learning this new game plan with his new trainers and it just takes a while for him. I mean, he's he's older now, and it's not something that was in him from when he was a teenager. So it's going to take time for him to, you know what I mean? Maybe, I also think, maybe this is the plot. The plot is you're going to keep fighting people in a style that you're going to use to fight Deontay Wilder and get used to that. So never come out of that package, because this, never never come out of that uh out of that frame of fighting that you're doing now because if you come out of that frame of fighting you're going to open yourself up to Deontay so and you, you said
0: that I saw yeah. your post on Facebook earlier when you said I get that he's in his mind that every opponent is Deontay Wilder from now on yeah. because that's what he's preparing for so that's the mindset and the risk aversion attitude that he has because he thinks what if it was Wilder and you think that's valid right
1: yeah yeah i really do i think i mean it has to be that's the only fight that matters and there's no way you know this kid is as as he was taking the fight with one month you know i'm sorry with one week at uh, advanced notice um not even advanced right <laughs> it's just like you're yeah. fighting this week so helenius you know more power to him for taking that but i think he knew what the deal was going into it and uh, no, it's i don't
0: know michael Hellenius looked like he really started to get confident around about the fourth round.
1: And that's what I was saying to myself. I was like, he's given this kid, he's given this kid a reason to think that he's going to win. If if not for the fact that I think he, the kid was also like hyperventilating a little bit and he was winding himself without even, like every punch he was throwing and every defensive maneuver, he was like, he was taxing himself 100%. He looked like, you know, you could see his energy drop and then it would come back up and then eventually it just, you know, he couldn't maintain.
0: Danny Graham had just said, you're not going to teach Joshua anything new because he's too old. I know that you don't agree with that when yeah, you're
1: talking no. about a guy who's 32, 33. No, it's about, really, it is about his training. It's repetition, patience and repetition. And what happens when you're patient and you repeat a maneuver over and over again, it has to be, it's a pattern and it has to happen. If you close yourself off to learning new things when you can't physically do them anymore. It's not like the, the things that Joshua has to do um, in order to fight these guys and beat these guys or to fight with a new fight plan and ability. It's not like it's going to hurt him. It's not like it's hurting him when he's doing it. It's not like it's hurting his back. There's some physical ailment that's stopping him from doing these maneuvers. These are simple things he should be doing to you know in preparing for his fight uh, with Wilder that there's nothing stopping them from being able to do that and, and eventually, you
0: know... I think we back. may have discussed this before, but mm-hmm. how often have we seen a fighter, a notable fighter, truly reinvent themselves under another trainer when they were already of a reasonably mature age with a, with a whole bunch of fights behind them and a mm-hmm. world-class career already behind them? I, I suspect people first mention Arturo Getty when they said Buddy McGirt did a little, bit of a, a little bit of a reinvention job on him. But you know what, Michael? Getty could always box beautifully when he felt like it. He just loved to have a have a route, quite yeah. honestly. That's I'm slug. not sure
1: what he was like before Hector Roca, but I know when he was with Hector Roca, he boxed beautifully and his power yeah. Yeah, and his power that he had kept dudes in check. Like you know what I mean? He yeah. boxed box and when guys get a little bit too much, he'd turn something over hard and then they'd be like, Whoa, okay. Yeah, yeah. chill it out. And, and and that sort of like that went out the window when he when they got rid of Hector and he went back to the slugging and and, and trading punches because he was a, a very resilient dude. But you can't be – you're that one person that's taking all those punches and you have 50 different opponents testing you. At some point, you're going to give. And, you know, just
0: what I was saying, I was trying to think of prominent examples of major league fighters who truly reinvented themselves under a new trainer uh, at a point when they could have been considered to be already built. Uh Lennox Lewis would be the one, I guess, right? We're yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he did. And, and what – what and more than anything, I think the greatest thing Manuel Stewart taught him was to survive, which he also taught Tommy Hearns how to survive after the Sugar Ray Leonard fight. You know what I mean? After Sugar Ray Leonard won, and people were like, well, how come Hearns doesn't hold on? Hearns is 100% offense. If he's not offense and he's got to go, it's like it's me or yes. you. He's that kind of gutslicker, right? He isn't looking to like hold on and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Well, but- he learned that after the first fight, that there are times when you're going to have to hold on. And I think from there, when Emmanuel Stewart got a hold of Lennox, he's like, listen, use your height, reach. And you can, as a heavyweight, you can hold on and hang and lay on the guy's back and all that. Same thing he did with Klitschko. He got knocked out by um by How did this? Lehman
0: Brewster?
1: Yep, and the same thing happened. He was like, listen, here's what you got to do. you got to learn to use your size and advantage. If you get hurt, lay on them, grab them, da 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 -da, wear them out. And I think that's, you know, I mean, that's intelligence. I I don't particularly like holding and hitting or just holding on, but it is what it is. You're allowed to, and you should.
0: Sure. Like I said, Frank Bruno, to an extent, needed to learn that because that was – when when he would get knocked out, uh, yes. you know, by James Brown, or Smith, or Tim Witherspoon. yeah, the people in this um in this country having the post mortems about these things, looking to try and fix whatever was wrong, would say he needs to learn how to grab a guy and hold on. And yeah. then in the end, he ended up practicing that rather too well and made himself a little unpopular in some quarters. I mean, <laughs> yeah. if you look at the um the rematch of Mike Tyson in March 1996, yeah. Bruno, as Jim Gray put it, he said, "What was your um." game plan in there what was your attitude going in there because you appeared to have no offensive plan whatsoever like all Bruno wanted to do was hold a grab and survive against Tyson when obviously he was still facing a relatively ferocious version of Iron Mike who just went straight through him you know but yeah
1: yeah but
0: um, but Joshua that's I don't know for certain that Wilder is going to be next, but I believe that's where they're going with this. That's what they said. Certainly, free fight. And from what little kind of gl- glinting on Twitter at some of the sound bites from the post fight press conference last night, I, it appears that they're looking at Wilder at the end of the year without any fights in between. I believe, you know, in, in without in any fights area. in between.
1: Wow, I thought when they were talking on on. On TV, when they were interviewing him, they were talking about you know he's going to continue to fight until that fight happens. So he had at least one more fight in him before the wilder. Would you would you highly
0: recommend that that option?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think he needs to do that. No, and it's not even the it's not even about the crowd. It's just the the reality of the fight. Like be like, he needs to enhance his fight vision. He was not. Slipping punches. He wasn't blocking punches, you know. And 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 the, and the punches were. I mean, come on, they were pretty much pedestrian. After the left, I, I sat there and I watched the fight, and I'm like, okay, he's gonna throw the right. He did. He's gonna throw the left. He did. He threw the right. He did. And it was like, either. And I'm talking about hellenius It's it's absolutely predictable what he was gonna do. So why are you getting hit by it? Like if there, if you're afraid of getting hit, if you're afraid of the results. Then why do you not respect the punch that's coming at you? Because that's the only thing that's going to hurt you. I don't know that his trainer says to him, "You know what? You need to see the punch, and and once you see the punch, then you can do something defensively with it." I just don't think he's even looking at his gloves. He's not even looking at the guy's hands. It's like it's it's insane. It doesn't make Did sense. you
0: when you were because people have got different theories about what you should focus on when you're looking at trying to anticipate your opponent's punches. Mm-hmm. Um, did you look at the eyes or did you look at the
1: hands of gloves i mostly looked at the eyes but then once i started paying attention to the hands things were easier for me i mean i knew that when i fought like as an amateur and they were and they were like it was very very unique to find but as an advanced amateur when i fought guys that were advanced or even some pros that were advanced they'd look at your hands and all they do is look at your hands and it threw you off because it was just so unique like why is he looking at my hands? But I mean, it makes yeah. sense because those are the only things that could hit you in boxing. It's not the feet. It's not the elbows. It's no headbutts. None of that kind of stuff. It's it's this yeah. or this. So if you're tracking these two, if you know where these two at all times, what do you def- what? What have you to fear? Nothing. So you look at the eyes and you look at the face and you think the intent is going to be uh, obvious, but it's not. It's absolutely not to look at. Well, the no, face yeah, because
0: you're supposed to, say, to throw people a a, a I mean, anyway.
1: Look- well, look at Alexis Arguello. You look—he's got such a poker face. You couldn't tell if you—you you know what I mean? And, and Joe all Lewis. These fighters are like that. Joe Lewis, uh, Listen, all fighters were like that. All great fighters were like that. You look at their face, and they—they they don't register that pain or that discomfort or frustration. If—if if they do it, it's in body type. You know what I mean? It's like their how their body um, how their body reacts to the issue, but not their face. Great fighters are always here.
0: Poker face,
1: yeah, yeah, For sure. So, um,
0: I can't help but be rather pessimistic about Joshua's chances against Wilder. Whether he fights him next time out or whether he manages to, to fit in one or two engagements in between the the big non-title fight with Wilder. I just, I'm trying to, I'm trying, I like the guy, right? I'm not anti-Joshua like some people are. He gets a hard time. He gets a lot of stick. Some people, I'll talk about why that is a little bit later as well, but I'm not one of those guys, but I just can't see anything other than getting tailed by Wilder. I just think Wilder is whatever, whatever people think of Wilder as a boxer, right? It comes more naturally to him, what he does than it does to Joshua. People may say he's terrible and fundamentally awful, but he is. Re- but he does it relatively naturally and he's not afraid to let his hands go. Is he? And I just yeah, think, and that- I think he's more tenacious than Joshua as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He is. Um, he is that. What I've said about Joshua, I, I you know, I, there's massive room for improvement and, and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Still, Wilder's ship has a lot of leaks in it, and I still see this fight as pick them. It's 50/50, no matter which way you like, which way you look at it. Like Anthony Joshua is more defensively sound than Wilder, but Wilder is much more. Offensively capable than Freaking heaven, yeah. so, so that's where you find your balance. Like, it, I think it, he
0: takes a better shot too, and I think he shows he's probably got a little bit more of that dog in him. This is interesting though, as well, you know, Silk. Because if you were to judge, and I did initially, you know, judge Joshua on the Klitschko fight, I know that was an old 41 year old Klitschko, but it was a pretty decent version of Klitschko who yeah. was in great shape, who was super motivated, he fought a great fight. And, uh, you know, Joshua did get off the deck, and he did heroically come back and stop Klitschko. And I remember thinking, talking at the Frank Bruno comparisons, he has that ability to win a fight when the chips are down and climb off the deck, something that Bruno never had. I wouldn't question Bruno's heart and desire, never. But he didn't have that X factor that, that kept you in the fight. You know, because even when Klitschko was unloading on Joshua, I believe it was the 10th round, because I think the fight ended in the 11th, if memory serves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was smiling and rocking and rolling with the shots, and he supposedly said to him, you better get all your shots off now because I'm going to knock you out in the next round. And he smiled at him. Now that that's that's pretty gangster, right? I mean, that yeah, shows yeah, he didn't have it then, and he was yeah. comfortable in his skin at the time, yeah. as a pugilist. Yeah. But now, when you when you look at the the Ruiz fight, um, I suppose that's the only example, right? The Ruiz fight, he wasn't capable of doing that. He yeah. he got beaten, he got outboxed by Usyk twice. Quite mm-hmm. honestly, mm-hmm. but he wasn't. It wasn't like, and he he was on the verge of getting stopped some people thought, in the last round of the first fight with Yusick, but he kind of weathered the storm, didn't he, and stuck his tongue out. Yeah, so yeah. Ma- maybe I'm not being fair to Joshua saying that Wilder is definitely the more tenacious and the yeah. more capable of coming back from adversity, but I feel yeah. like he probably is.
1: Yeah, it, you know, it, it's it's a picky fight. The thing is, it's a 50-50 fight, but it, it, whereas that is... Wilder is just so much more definitive. His purpose and point of when he gets in the ring is just so obvious, and sometimes um, we tend to get swayed by that. Like th- He's 100% about doing one thing, and that's knocking you out. I mean, he doesn't care if he gets hit or not, it, obviously. You know what I mean? He's never gone in there and pretended to slip a punch or block a punch or any of that kind of stuff. He's always looking to set you up, not afraid to be hit. If he gets hit, he gets dropped. I mean – it's almost like he has no shame and that's what you want. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's what you want. You want, you want a fighter that's, I mean, you have to respect pain. You have to respect, um, you have to respect the fact that you can be knocked out, but at the same time to acknowledge it to the point where, whereas it affects your ability to perform, you can't do that either. And that's what Wilder does so beautifully.
0: See, that's the thing. Mm -hmm. There's, there's not wanting to get hit and there's being a great defensive fighter. Right. Um, and then there is being apprehensive and scared about getting hit, which is, is actually counterproductive, as I'm sure mm. you will, you know, endorse. I remember Sugar Way Leonard when he came back against Kevin Howard, and he wasn't happy with his performance. And because of that, he re-retired for another three years. Yeah. And he said at the time um, that he just might, he just wasn't there as far as he was concerned because he was suddenly apprehensive about getting hit when he never had been previously. Yeah. And there's a world of difference between not desiring to get hit and being scared of getting hit, right?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, there really is. Asaj Ali asked, what do you think of Joshua's chin? He looked vulnerable over the years in deck, but not ever killed, comatose, so to speak. What do you think?
0: Um, Well, see, this is the thing. I mean, he, um, I don't think he's got the greatest set of whiskers. I think if you hit him on the button, he will go. Certainly if someone like Wilder hits him on the button.
1: Um, the thing about that, Ben, that's the advantage of it. If you know you can, you can be hurt when you get hit, that don't look at it as a disadvantage look at it as something to like make you tighten up your defense and that's your sorry
0: that's what klitschko said when somebody talked about testing his chin klitschko said you know in the good era when he was practically unbeatable he said i have no desire to test my chin it is made of glass yeah he said, i have no desire to test it whatsoever because he yeah. already knew what it was like you know so but but, but
1: i mean definitely like in terms of like don't don't let fear overtake your ability to perform. Like like Klitschko would, like he'd punch and hold because he was afraid of getting hit. Right, he'd punch and hold and grab and lay on your back and do all these things that were a little bit too extra. They, they didn't yeah. didn't show the command of the sport of the you know the the the. Fit, of boxing. It didn't show the skills that he should have developed. He let fear overtake his uh, defensive confidence. Yeah. Well,
0: Willie Willie Pep didn't want to get hit, but he made it look a whole lot more artistic than that, didn't he? You
1: exactly. Know? Yes. It didn't stop his opponent from throwing at him, and he would counter him as well. So, you know what I mean? So, that, I can respect that. But when, when a fighter, like, all of a sudden, because he's going to get hit, and he grabs each other, and he grabs him because he doesn't... That, in my book, is not, uh, is not an ability. Is not an ability a fighter should be No, it's, it's
0: like when when James Boncrush Smith became incredibly negative against Mike Tyson back in nineteen eighty seven, uh, you know, and, and and I think everybody expected that was gonna be like a whole big, you know, explosive shootout. Particularly with the job that Bonecrush had done on Tim Witherspoon. Although Tim Tim tells you he took a dive by the way, as far, if you talked to Tim about that, he said he definitely tanked that fight. But it's, anyway, um, you uh, know,
1: Simon's just, question right here is kind of cool. He said, it's just hard getting my head around the fact that one fight, the Ruiz fight, has seemingly changed AJ as a boxer. He's gone from a dominant force of nature to a young lad just starting in the pro game and finding it tough going. What do you think of that?
0: See, this is the thing, Michael, when I say because I never like to go with cliches. And I know you don't. You you can be something of a contrarian despite being a very nice young man, as, as Mr. Rappaport has, has already is, said. Is, is a
1: contrarian, is is that a horoscope? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's your
0: star sign. You're a contrarian, exactly. So, <laughs> and, and you don't even believe in astrology because contrarians are sceptical. But, so <laughs> but, you know, I never like to jump on board with the narrative. So when the man in the streets and the man in the pub, not that I go to pubs very often, you understand, nowadays, but when yeah. they say... Oh, he's, he's, you know, his he's, he's psyche's he's gone since the Ruiz fight. He's got ghosts from New York, hasn't he? He's got ghosts from the garden. And um, yeah. I never want to go along with that narrative. I'm like, you know, surely, you know, it is what it is. And he came back and surely well, wouldn't he have exercised the ghost when he came back and beat Ruiz, like like you alluded to a little bit earlier. Although the manner of victory, perhaps not so much as a Joe Lewis, Max Schmeling kind of revenge. But I wasn't prepared to accept that one fight had robbed him of all his mojo. But maybe it did because thing is, let, let's be clear. He was never a fantastic fighter, anyway, with the best word. He had a lot of, good, you know, he had a lot of good tools. He had a lot of marketing behind him. I don't,
1: had, I don't think he had completed his cycle. listen, no, you know, Michael.
0: I don't know if you watched him in the Olympics, the London Olympics in 2012. But the whole story, right? He lost the first fight. I swear to God, he lost the first fight in the against um uh, a, a cuban boxer called eris landy savon he lost it out of sight and, and everybody fair-minded british people certainly on my page on facebook said he lost the fight yeah um but they they gave him the decision because he's a big commercial animal right you know i mean who knows how, who knows how that corruption or that bias works in, sure. at the amateur olympic level but you know it's it does sometimes yeah, yeah so So Joshua gets a gift in his first round of activity in the Olympics. Then he boxed pretty well and improved and grew into the tournament as it went. Then he got a debatable call in the final against Camerl, the Italian. I thought he would nicked it, but some people think he lost. So that was the thing, right? Then, and then next minute, you've got like, and you know what Barry Hearn said to me, Eddie's dad, when I was, when I told him years ago that Joshua got beat out of sight in the first Olympic bout? He said, "Yeah, you know, but thank God for it. Thank God for it because because he's going to be such a big attraction and he's going to be he's going to be a great fighter." And he said, yeah, you, "You know must what I see
1: about that, Ben? Wherever wherever there's human performance, there's human preference." Yeah. And he said
0: to me, he said to me, you mustn't be a traditionalist anorec. But by citing that, I thought the guy who won the fight should get the decision. You know what I mean? But um, so his whole thing was, you know, of course he won it. You know, and when I mentioned it to Joshua himself one time when we did an interview, I said again, you know, I think you got beat out of sight by Sabon, with all due respect. I didn't say that, actually. I said, I think you were a tad fortunate is the way I chose to phrase it to him. And he said... He's not coming to my town and beating me like that. And that was his whole attitude, you know. So both the promoter, it's about the commercial, you know. It's about it's about the house fighter. And same thing, Joshua reiterated that. He didn't claim he won the fight. So that's what I'm saying, you know. He hadn't started boxing. And maybe this is significant too, Silk. He didn't start till he was about 18, okay. He started oh, yeah. in his late teens. Yeah, yeah. And when we think of the truly great fighters, and maybe some of the guys we, who might qualify more to be natural fighters, I think if we were to run through a list of them now with some of the all-time greats, most of them we find starts at a very young age, right?
1: Yeah. Single Homes digits. Are- single digits is the best time to start boxing. Once you start getting into double digits, you're you're starting to deal with guys that are physically maturing. And some guys mature at 14, 13, and some guys, you know, and some guys mature later, like 18, 19. But if you're yeah. if you start single digits, you have punches coming at you. And it's very important to be able to see punches coming at you from different angles. And it's important that you don't feel the pain that is associated. Like when you're nine, six, seven, eight, nine, you have punches coming at you. It don't hurt. It'll hurt your emotions. If you lose all this, that kind of stuff, but it won't physically hurt you like pain wise. Once you start as a man, once you start forming, once you start, you're a young teenager, you're a middle teenager, you're upper teens. The later you get, the more it hurts when you spar with people. And when you and when pain is introduced into the game, you start limiting what you do and what you'll what you'll experiment with because you know pain is attached, and embarrassment is attached, and concussions are attached, and all these other things. So that's why it's very important to get. You know that's why you see Mayweather and all these guys that that excel from like when they were seven, eight, nine years old. Roy Jones, all that they started then. All the, all the learning they had to do was done when they were in their single digits, and from there on in, it's all you know what I mean. It, it's all icing from there. I mean, Sugar
0: Ray Leonard didn't start till he was about thirteen or fourteen,
1: which is mm-hmm. a little it's later. An for every rule, you know, there's an exception. I mean, look, uh, Ali himself—he didn't start till he was what eleven or twelve. So he got double digits. You he know was what I mean? He was twelve,
0: yeah, just about double digits. Um, yeah, exactly. He was twelve, so. but then he. And he was, you know, the thing about Ali, he boxed within a few weeks of starting. He boxed on TV, didn't he, on local cable station. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was called, it was called well, was Champions.
1: Different. And look, you're, I mean, you're fighting light heavyweight, heavyweight, and you're not fighting like heavyweights fight. So right away, they have to adjust to you more than you have to adjust to them. They've never seen, uh, you know, they've never experienced a heavyweight that moves like a lightweight. So how do you prepare for that? it's always, it's virtually impossible especially as an amateur it's not like you you've seen them on tv or or you know what i mean people are talking about them yet so all these things are like these are some of the things yeah, as a fighter you have to be able to adapt on the run and they couldn't do that because they'd never they'd never even sparred with anyone like that never mind fought
0: yeah um so, as far as the heavyweight picture in general goes for the last 15 minutes, um, I don't want to talk about Fury and that thing, that MMA fighter thing he's doing. I've got a blackout on that, Silco. Are you with me? That's my kind yeah, of I,
1: mean, I don't know when it is anyway. Good. It really doesn't even interest me.
0: Um, okay. So, Alexander Yusick is out two weeks from now. He's fighting Daniel Dubois, who is his, I believe it's his WBO mandatory. Okay. Trouble with mandatories, it's a fine idea, the idea that, that boxers should have to meet mandatory contenders, right? Yeah. The only problem with it is that mandatories are never worth a carrot, are they? I don't mean that disrespectfully yeah. to Daniel Dubois, but yeah. mandatories are so frequently or almost routinely not the best guy, never mind in the division, but even in the rankings from the, from the governing body's own rankings, they're yeah. often not the best guy from that list, are they? they it's a political thing.
1: Uh, you know, it, that's always confused me, and I was in it. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like at one point, I was a mandatory too. But like I was, Hagler. Hagler, I was, ha- yeah, I was Hagler's mandatory, and he took Sugar Ray. What are you gonna do? You know what he I mean? He
0: ducked you. He ducked you. It's simple. Oh yeah, if, yeah. If that, if that old blow, if that listen, if that old blown up welterweight could do that, Tim, what would the silk have done to him?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that blown up welterweight was an incredible talent, that's for sure. Yeah, but, I would have
0: liked to have seen you fight Hegler. Just it would have, it would have been interesting. I, I remember it was someone I remember. Mm-hmm. I, 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 so don't, I, I don't so suppose I could have picked you, but I would have, I would like to see. Yeah,
1: as uh, I, had, I had an affinity for Southpaws, I really love fighting them because once, uh, like at a very young age. I started like almost immediately when I started boxing, I started boxing primarily with with Southpaw and a very strong one, one much bigger and stronger than me, physically mature. So it did kind of help. but you know Hegler is an exceptional, absolutely different beast altogether. and um, yeah, of course, as a fighter, you, any fighter that steps in the ring that's for real about boxing, of course they they believe in themselves and they believe they're going to do it um so you know i believe what i believe but you know hagler is an undoubtedly uh, you know an all-time great and and the guys you know like me who jumped in the ring and wanted to and didn't get there for whatever be the reason that's the reason, and you know it didn't happen. So you can't take anything away from Hegler and his ability at all. The man was a, a exceptional and incredible. And for every single fight, he was up and a hundred percent for that. And even just being able to get into get into a fight and be able to do that alone is is uh, exemplary. It's really. I, it's really I really love
0: great. that idea, the Spartan idea of him locking himself away in Cape Cod, yeah, uh, you know, Provincetown, Massachusetts kind of way. Yeah. And you know he used to he used to stay in this kind of rather kind of spooky motel, didn't he? That apparently mm. was—I don't think it had any guests ever. I think it was just it was semi-closed down, but it was available to Hagler to rent training camp. He? Yeah, and it was like a horror film. It was like a it was like a spooky horror film at the start of one of these feature led movies where yeah, you know something's true. not quite right in this town and it's all a yeah. bit eerily quiet. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and that's yeah. why he would lock himself away, you know, and he would uh, yeah. and he'd run along the beach, you know, and all the rest yeah. of it, and he. Yeah. and you and you know one thing he the wasn't doing out
1: there are definitely haunting. I mean you got the fog coming in. It's always it's like threatening to storm or rain or it's always it's very grey, you know, kind of English
0: ish. Kind of Salem's lot kind of vibe, yeah? <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I mean, but, yeah.
0: But I think initially, see this is the great thing about us, we can so fluidly shift from Daniel Devoe to Marvin Hagler to Kate Cod, just in yeah. a heartbeat. But I believe what's getting ourselves back on track to a degree. I believe we were talking about Dubois versus Usyk, and, and the the nonsensical nature of the ranking systems, and, and and the mandatory challenge challenges that the sanctioning bodies order, uh, for better or for worse, you know. Because obviously Joe, Joe Joyce beat uh, Dubois um, conclusively uh, a couple of years ago, two, two or three years ago, and now he's in a, a position where he's fighting to save his career in, in a rematch versus Zile Zhang, yeah. and uh, and now. Du Bois has he's won some cardboard version of the of the WBA championship at some point on a yeah. Don King show in a high school a little while ago and now he's fighting for, for nearly you know, for three quarters of the marbles in two weeks' time in Poland against Alexander Usik. It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Well, yeah, it does because That's you know, awesome. you know what? It
1: really does make a lot of sense because you know what it's about. They don't want you sick to. They don't want a real challenge for you sick. It's a manageable fight for him. It's a fight where he can look good. It's a fight that he can win. It's a fight where he's not going to get hurt. You know, Dubois. I don't really. I really don't believe Dubois can hurt him. I mean, Usyk's skills are kind of like he he can he
0: can punch, but he's gonna have to find him in the first place. Dubois, you know, he's he has that power. He's destructive fighter. Yeah. But I think once again,
1: yeah, Ben, you can have the bomb, but if you don't have the, the the wherewithal to get the bomb from here to there. You just fighting just, a bomb. You maybe, you'll blow, yourself right. up with it. maybe you'll blow yourself up with the bomb because if you yeah. can't get it from here to there, then what good is it? And I don't think he can find Usyk's chin before Usix is, you know, hitting him with all sorts of punches. And you but, know, this kind of this kind of reminds me of the fight um when you said about taking the choices, uh Crawford and um and uh, Boots Ennis, right? Crawford is like uh, I want a chance to, you know, boots is his mandatory. But he doesn't necessarily want the mandatory because he was it's a no-win situation for me. I beat him and they say the kid's not right. You know, I lose to him and, you know what I mean, and that's and, and that's it. They write me off as somebody who wasn't, you know what I mean? He,
0: he didn't actually entertain that possibility, to be fair. He said, if I beat him, they'll say the kid was untested. He never allowed for the scenario of he lost to him. He didn't, that, that's not what Terrence, I mean, but obviously... You, you you know you can infer it on his behalf certainly because that's what it amounts to. But um, do you know I would rather see him fight Boots than anybody else. I'd rather see him fight Geron Ennis than anybody else. That's just me. But I understand what you he's said. You that. said Javante
1: Gervonta, Gervonta Davis. No Ennis. No, you said Ennis and then you said another fighter.
0: No, I just I just called him oh. Boots and I also called him Ennis. He's oh, got I see. Oh, okay. nickname versus surname. I'd rather see him fight Jaron, Jaron, Boots, Ennis than anybody else in the world, uh-huh. any anyway. weight. But I get why the why Crawford doesn't really like the fight, you know, for, for the reasons he's stated. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand why it's attractive to him to fight Charlo yeah. and to and make
1: his dream. Boots has to kind of make him want that fight. Like, he has to go out there and then, like, and maybe he has to clean out more of the welterweight division. Maybe he has to do a little bit more, you know, to make himself attractive. Um not not that, not that that should be that's not what boxing is about the guy's in the position he's in because he won his fights it shouldn't be about him having to like you know pull a circus act and do all sorts of promotional things in order for to get people to talk about the fight more but i understand you know Crawford had to pay his dues too so uh, yeah. you know it, it, he's the, he's the number one mandatory right Boots.
0: For the IBF, yeah. And you look, know, it's because like it's Crawford holds every belt. This is the problem, isn't it, Michael? You, yeah. you, you're you dealing with four different sanctioning bodies. They tell you this is our number one uh, manager yeah. challenger. Yeah. You have to fight him within X amount of time. But as you know, they, they can make all these exceptions and dispensations and everything else. Yes, it's just yeah. all a big racket, isn't it? And yeah. they, they should not have been allowed to get this entrenched in this industry, but they have done. There yeah. should have been something ideally that stopped getting four sanctioning bodies, all with their little kind of relative you know, strength. You, you, know what,
1: you know what sports is now? Sports, more than anything, because it is so governed by the money aspect, sports is the enter- it's an entertainment now. It's, it industry. Entertainment. it's not, yeah, it's an entertainment. And that's
0: what I've always said to people. You know, professional boxing is not a sport. It is an entertainment industry it's yeah. it's we don't not allow the
1: entertainment to, to overtake you know the um, yeah, the sports aspect of it that that the fact that these you know generally these are two warriors who are home to do this and this is reality. This is reality. it's not entertainment. There's nothing fake about this. And then you have to be well, able. Did to you see did you
0: watch the did you watch the Joshua chant did you did you have them with that awful KSI segment? Did you get that? I didn't,
1: I didn't. see it. I, well, I, there you it, go.
0: They, they, I don't want to talk about him too much, but you heard of KSI, right? Who's like i I've heard of him, yeah. boxer. I mean, yeah. Is this, is what,
1: it, his last name is Olajideh?
0: Oh, you know what? It might be. So, so maybe he can't be that bad then. You know, that's, <laughs> you remind me of when you remind me of when Muhammad Ali was breaking down Foreman's record before they fought, and he was talking to all the nobodies on the record, and he was just at like, Don Bolhaim a nobody. You know this guy and nobody. Um, and then he suddenly got to this guy called Vernon Clay and said, Wait a second, he might be good. <laughs> Which just brilliant. So that's kind of yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. By the way, I would like to make it clear I've got nothing against KSI. I met him one time in the, in a yeah. gym in West Ham in East London, mm-hmm. literally around the corner from where I speak to you now, actually. And um, he seemed nice enough, like most people do, don't they? Most people yeah. do. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, absolutely. He's but- got good energy. I saw an interview he did with the girl. I didn't know anything about that he was fighting. Who's a Jake Paul or something? Who's he fighting?
0: Yeah, yeah, all that bollocks. So, yeah. but because he's because he's getting some situation with Tommy Fury next, and Tommy Fury doesn't oh, yeah. want to be a fighter. Oh, yeah. Tommy Fury wants to be wealthy and famous and rich, and he wants the easiest route to that. I'm not yeah. knocking that; that's fine. But let's be honest about it. He doesn't want to be a fighter. He doesn't really want to be a serious professional fighter. Yeah. He's found this YouTube gravy train, and that's what Tommy Fury is doing. You know. Oh, yeah. um, and they they went to, they said, we've got a superstar at ringside. And then they, and they, and you go thinking, who is it going to be? Remember back in the day when that meant Tommy Hearns or Marvin oh, Hagel? Sugar and then, or they Archie did. Moore, maybe one of the older guys, maybe even yeah. a Willie Beckham. Perhaps yeah. even, you know, it meant somebody of that ilk. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then it, they, they got then it was KSI at ringside, jumping <laughs> around like he'd had too much, you know, base speed or something. Yeah, um, yeah. And, he, and he was talking like this, that, and the other time, Fury then. Then you had uh, McGregor getting in the ring and saying he will take him on bare knuckle, he couldn't box eggs. I uh, um, I mean it's just, wait, wait, it's
1: just horrible. Wait, McGregor challenged KSI? He appeared to, yes. Oh wow. I-, I saw after the fight that he gave uh that he gave um Joshua some beer or some drink. To- he
0: gave him some like a load of Irish, is it called Irish? Uh, he's got a new kind of Irish stout, I believe, has he? That he's marketing. Uh. Because you know what? The MC David Diamante kept saying Sponsored by such and such. stout Now available in ASDA, which is just some really low rent kind of supermarket over here. I'm not knocking yeah. ASDA; it's kind of handy, but it's very, very unromantic and unglamorous. To, be oh, able to yeah. this big stage saying yeah. "now available in ASDA." But what what is the game coming to? Is all I'm is all I'm asking yeah, you. So, yeah. what is the industry? What is this so called entertainment it's, industry it's, coming it, to? It reflects
1: it reflects society. It reflects life, and life, yeah. life oh, is always more like a money grab than anything. Yeah. It, I mean, money's a very useful, beautiful thing as well, but there's the other side to it that's very dark and it takes away people's. Uh, it, it does some pretty unusual things it, to individuals,
0: basically. Sajal so, to, to help you translate this kind of uh, tone, he said, As there is the UK version of Walmart, okay, Silk, so he, wants, he, wants, he, wants, he wants you to feel left out. I'd uh, like to say hello like to Andy it, for you know, know. by the way. Andy Pastran is watching in San Antonio. His father was a, was a legendary coach in San Antonio who who, who trained, like, the, the Ayala boys and all that kind of thing oh, yeah. at, dif- at different times. I met Andy when I was in uh, San Antonio. He had a bike... En- he's a big bike enthusiast, motorbike enthusiast, and uh, he had a bit of an accident recently, and I think he's been recovering in hospital. So I'd like to say hi to Andy Pastran and, uh, and get well soon, sir. But Lex's professional boxing is turning into WWF, you know, which we... We know that anyway, and this is I imagine I mean, it your it's similar.
1: It isn't, it isn't. I mean, because ultimately, the reality is the fighters are always going to keep it real, like the, they will. the-
0: and Crawford yeah. is real, in UA well, yeah. is real, exactly.
1: You know, so, so they so can do all the pomp and circumstance, and they can do all the promotion, and all the rest of that kind of stuff when the bell rings those are real concussions being doled out. Those are yeah. real eye fractures. Those are real broken chins, the broken jaws, broken ribs, you know, kidney contusions, all the of this, that kind of stuff. That's real. We can never ever take away from that. It's just you know uh, before the start bell and after the bell is, the final bell is rung. That's where the issue is with boxing that it never used to be. We we feel like we have to do these crazy things to promote a fight when you just have two guys that are deserving of fighting each other fight. That's all you have to do, and people can make out from the rest. You don't have to do all the bells and whistles and all this. You know, box with a bear and you know wrestle with a with an octopus and- alligator. <laughs> <laughs> the yes. Definitely not an alligator. <laughs> yeah.
0: But um, on that note, um, we said we we're doing 45 minutes tonight, and we we're going to uh, get out of here. Um, listen, guys, you can now watch episodes of Sugar and Silk back on YouTube. Tonight's episode went live on YouTube, the Sugar and Silk YouTube channel. You can catch it on Spotify. Obviously, you can go back to this uh, stream on Facebook. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it as ever. We will be back next week. We're going to have something exciting coming up. I'm hoping to attend the Atlantic City Boxing Hall of Fame at the end of September where Sugar and Silk are actually going to meet physically for the first time. I know that we'll have some content and some surprises for you. Michael, thanks as ever for being you. Guys, thanks for tuning You're in. Good. Simon, East Coast Nation, thanks for coordinating us. So, um, so expertly as always, we'll be back next week. Thank you.